Sippers, welcome to this episode of the Tea With Me podcast with me, Shane Todd. It's another guest episode. Very, very happy to get this guy to come on the podcast. He's someone whose comedy I've been a fan of for a long time. If you see him on the panel shows that he does, including the Blame Game or formerly the panel of RTE, or you hear him interviewed, anything he's on, he always brings the funny to it. Very entertaining guy. Lovely, lovely to chat to from the, the few gigs that we've done together, a couple of times that I've met him. My guest is Mr. Nate Delamere, who will be playing the SSE Arena in Belfast. And he's never played there before like myself, but we're chatting about that and kind of our experiences of booking the shows, why we've booked the shows, what we're looking forward to uh, about them. And talk a little bit how, about how he got into stand-up as well, which I didn't know anything about that. I just know Neil is a guy who's very funny on shows, so it was good to go back and, and ask him a lot of things. He's an open book. Really great, really great podcast guest. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Speaking of the SSE, before we get into it, I am adding a second night to my run of SSE shows. So the... First show on the 6th, I don't know, the 6th of November, is now sold out, which is mind-boggling, but brilliant as well. So thanks very much to everyone who's coming. It's going to be a great time. But we are adding the second show on the 16th. On Saturday, November 16th, we are adding the second night of my brand new show, Chancer, at the SSE. If you're coming to the Waterfront Hall show, that's called Somebody Told Me. That's a different show that we should have done last year. That's ready to go. This will be a separate show. So if you want to come to this too, then you definitely can. We're putting the tickets out on Friday of this week. And uh, yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing for that. To do two nights in the SSC is mad. And that's the first time I've said it out loud. And there's a little bit of sweat at the bottom of my back, but it's all good. It's all good. I also got to plug the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash tea with me podcast. At the minute, you get a podcast once a week on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you join the Patreon, you get five podcasts a week. We do po- we do a bonus episode, a full-length one on a Monday. This Monday passed, we had a brilliant one with Connor Keys, which was funny and very interesting as well because the episode's not called Deep Dive for no reason. Uh, Tuesday, we do The Breakfast Brew, which is a morning podcast, a short podcast. Wednesday, you got this. Thursday, we do The Breakfast Brew again. And on Friday, we do a live Zoom. And by the way, the live Zoom episodes are, are frankly wild. There's no other way of saying it. They're a little bit more explicit. They're a little bit more sexual. They're a little bit more, what would you say, rude. And that's what it is. So patreon.com slash tea with me podcast. Thanks to everyone who's already joined. Before we get into this episode, we are sponsored, as always, by Manscaped the number one in below-the-belt men's grooming. I'm a user of, I don't mean as a person, you're such a user. I am a user of friends and of Manscaped's product. So is producer Dan, and so is Big Mike, who does the video. I mean, he's not doing the video now, because I'm doing this via just the webcam in my house. He would be disgusted if I said he was doing this. He's not. Um, Manscaped, if you don't know by now, they're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They've also just released their own, I don't know if it's pronounced Cologne or Cologne, but it's one of the two. And that's aftershave, that's really what that is. Although it 
is a place in Germany where maybe after she originated, who knows? But uh, yeah, their cologne is very nice. They sent me a little bottle of it. Squirt, squirt, feeling good, smelling good. You know, here's the thing: Manscaped just they they conquered men's, but they conquered the pube game. No one else was going there. No one else had the break. It was like it's like space. You know, people people were oh no, I wouldn't even know how to do that. Manscaped go. What about this? The lawnmower 3.0 electric razor, LED light on it, anti anti snag technology. No problem. Knocking it out of the park. They've got a cologne now as well, which is great. So Manscaped's a great place to go. Manscaped.com. If you're a gentleman that likes to be groomed or if you are the partner of a gentleman that needs to be groomed and you want to do that for them. Not, well, you could. Shave a friend. Shave a loved one. Manscaped.com. They have a great travel kit. They have everything, including the Perfect Package 3.0 which, you know, in, includes ball wipes, ball toner, ball deodorant. You're going, why do I not need those things? And you're absolutely right. Go to manscaped.com, use the code TWITHME for 20% off and free shipping. And cheers to Manscaped for being a big sponsor of the show. Go check them out. Let's get stuck into this. This is a Tea With Me episode with my guest, the very funny Neil Delamere. First question for all guests on the podcast is, do you drink tea? And if so, like, what is the level of your tea drinking? I do drink tea. I'm more of a coffee drinker now. Um, I mean, you're, when, when you say, what's the level of my tea drinking, you don't mean in the cup. I mean, no, that would no, be a, no, no. That would be a very specific question to ask. Would it, like, if you were really on some sort of rain man tea drinking scale, like like two inches from the top, Um I drink maybe three cups a day, I suppose. But just espresso cups, right? <laughs> <laughs> like a shot glass. And then, but I put the last one like directly into my eye. Like when I was in college, students suddenly started doing it with vodka. Uh, about, I, thought, about, I thought you about were going to say, with tea, I was going to say it's the most Irish thing I've ever heard. Just a load of guys in halls firing a, firing a Barry's gold into their eye. Uh, yeah, yeah, no milk. Just how hard can you be? If, 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 you're, if you're blind, basically you've won the tea challenge. Uh, yeah, about, about three cups of tea a day. Yeah, my, my wife now like, would drink anything between kind of seven and ten. So I mean, that's a problem. That's an issue. That is, I, I think it's called displacement. Isn't yeah. that displacement activity? <laughs> I think she wants to murder me and it comes yeah. out through just looking at me and slowly dipping a pyramid bag into it into a cup although i do make major life decisions based entirely on i don't i don't know if anybody else does this i put a cup beside the kettle stand like two tiles back on the floor and then try and throw it in and then based on whether it lands i make life decisions on that um i i don't do that but that became a big in lockdown that became like a tiktok challenge type thing with a lot of people throwing it in but uh yeah you're taking it up a level with the life challenges thing i mean if um, i would always not do the thing because i realized i was not good at throwing a tea bag in the or a tea bag into a cup well all i'm a... saying is three in a row it's the only reason we're talking today right that's all right, i'm saying right. yeah so I mean, that's a that's a that's a that's a flare that's a yeah i was i was trying to figure out should i chat to shane and then like i just banged in three in a row and i just thought i mean yeah, that's a sign, really, isn't it? Yeah, three in a row is definitely a sign. I don't know about you, but when I started drinking, this is really weird. When I started drinking coffee, I felt like more of like an authentic stand-up because I liked the idea <laughs> of going into coffee shops. You know, if you're maybe traveling or whatever, you're working on your set a little bit, 
sitting yeah. there with a black coffee that that got me thinking this is what the guys in New York would do. <laughs> this is what the guys in New York would do. Drink black coffee and get paid $20 a set. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people don't realize that that sort of, you know, that, that scene over there is horrific. You're either amazing and in films or you're doing, you're bringing all your friends to the comedy gig and you're getting paid $20 a night. And it's not, it's it's almost like they don't treat it with the same respect that as, as it's treated over here or say in Australia or somewhere like that, where you can be a stand-up, you know? You can be a jobbing stand-up without being famous. They do, like, five sets a night. That's really common for a stand-up over there to do five sets a night. If I do a gig a week, sometimes I'll complain about being overworked, you know? <laughs> no, two years ago you did. Not so much anymore. You're like, no. any gig at all. I mean, I'll... St- yeah, yeah. You, I, I, I want to chat to you a lot about stand-up because, um, of course, I know you're from the blame game and a lot of different TV things, but but I don't know about you, how you got into stand-up, why you got into stand-up. But speaking of New York, um, I've been over a couple of times to do shows and gig. Have you performed much in the States? And it's so I've hard never, to find it. I've never done a gig in the US. I have done stuff in Montreal. I used to present a show called Just for Laughs. Um, So Ed Byrne did it for a couple of years for RT2. And then he was moving on and he was doing the galas in Montreal, which are the big, really kind of um, prestigious thing to do. So he was hosting a gala and like other hosts would be John Cleese or uh, Jason Alexander from Seinfeld, you know? And uh, so he stepped away from his TV series and then I presented a couple of seasons of it. Uh, So I got to do it there. Um, It was great. I have to say it was really good. Um, I, I, I got to interview someone like Jason Alexander. I actually made Jason Alexander laugh. And um, so basically we were at this kind of press conference, right? And everybody asked him about Seinfeld. Yeah, everybody. And I just thought, I mean, the poor, like the, I mean, the poor man, he's so bored off his mind answering the same question. So we got five minutes with him. And he sat down in front of me and I said, listen, you've done, you've been a Broadway star, you've won Tonys, uh, you've been very sitcoms, you were in, he was in Pretty Woman, uh, but there's one person, obviously, I have to ask you about working with. And his eyes kind of glazed over. And I said, what was it like to work with Angela Lansbury? And the eyes flipped back up again. And he went, well, I said, well, you, you did loads of stuff on Broadway with her. And he went, yes, I did, I did. And to the extent that... I asked him a question he'd never been asked before. Well, maybe not for a while. And he just, he gave us like 10 or 15 minutes. His PR woman was behind us going, wrap it up. He's like, no, I'm talking to the Irish person. I don't understand what he's saying, but I'm talking to the Irish person about Angela Lansbury and where Murder, She Wrote went wrong. Um, so I've, I've done some kind of weird gigs over there, uh, but I've never done the US, yeah. It's the, the New York, the, the thing I've, and we've had a couple of New York comedians on here recently. And the, the thing is, they almost don't perform and I mean that as a compliment like they it's all about like the material like it's low key they stand with their back to the brick wall with a hand in the pocket and they just wear like a hoodie or an old t-shirt whereas sometimes and the rhythm is exactly the same each night as well yeah 100% like it's not I found it weird that I was trying to almost present because I was trying to slow down what I was saying and I quickly realized that like, that's not like, that's not the done, that's not the done thing. I would love to do Montreal and, and speaking to Jason Alexander, I only started watching Seinfeld. We had a, had a kid about seven months ago and it was just something I started watching in the mornings. Um, and I, I'm still totally new to it. And I, I like it, but I don't get the cult element of it where people are 
obsessed. I mean, it's a lot of stand-ups favorite show. Um, you know, I like it, but I'm, know, more, I'm more of a Frasier guy. I am a hundred percent Frasier. I actually texted somebody today about that because <laughs> the, the reboot news is coming out now, uh, and um, so Niles was trending this morning, right? And right. Um, I was just saying that it, there's a scene where Niles Crane, um, the actor, doesn't speak for about five or six minutes. He's ironing his trousers and I think he's going on a date with Daphne and uh, he doesn't speak for maybe five or six minutes. It's some of the most perfect physical comedy you will ever see. I, in lockdown, I watched all of Frasier again from start to finish and um, it's been very productive, Shane. And, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, like it still stands up. It doesn't date actually, which is kind of amazing. I never watched Seinfeld at the, at the time really. So yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. I, would, I, I think Frasier is phenomenal yet don't get me wrong i would never sit down to an episode on channel four it's on in the mornings like at like half seven or eight or something so i love it if i catch it but if you ask me to sit down for an episode of fraser i'd spit tea in your face i'd be like that there is no way i'm gonna sit down and arrange the viewing of an episode it has to creep up on me and then i enjoy it That's the so, stealth comedy. Yeah. Imagine some guy in the 1990s or early 2000s was writing his finest work in the hope that someday <laughs> it would sneak up <laughs> on a Hollywood comedian. Yeah. This is the line. This is the line that's going to grab him. He's going to be feeding a child. He's going to be tired. But this this line here about Eddie the dog and his interaction with Marty is the line that's going to get him for the next 17 minutes of the particular episode. Yeah, that, that's all that's all it'll get me for. Um, I want, yeah, so let's chat about uh, you and I first met, I think, doing the, doing the Blame Game. I did a radio episode of the Blame Game um, it, it, it was just a tough night. I just remember it being a tough night. I was in the Queen's Film Theatre, right. and um, it was it was kind of tough. But the, and I've only I've only done one other panel show, like a a short lived thing called Monumental on BBC. And the perception I had of panel shows before doing it was it's kind of like every man for himself. You're like button heads to get jokes in. You've got to be really fast. But I think the best thing about it was, although that night just happened to be like, it's like the crowd weren't really into it or something, but everyone on the panel was so good at like, not just letting you get your material in or getting a thought in, but like almost setting you up for it like that. Yeah. I mean, you see, I think like some, something like some of the other panel shows, there's all these people fighting for the position all the time and they don't know how many times they're going to be on in a particular se- series. Whereas, we've done it for so long. We kind of go, well, like Shane might have some brilliant stuff. Let's ask him. (laughs) Let's, let's get him to do some of the heavy lifting because we're all going to be back here next week, looking at each other. And we've talked enough about Brexit (laughs) and COVID to to save our lives. So it's, I mean, it's, it's in our interest to be nice to people if they've got stuff to bring to the, to the table as well. And it just brings the best out of people. You know, I, I always think it's a weird show to do because there's only one guest. Yes. You're coming into something and you don't necessarily know the rhythms. So that's your disadvantage. But your advantage hopefully is you haven't done a load of these and you can do whatever you want. So you can pick what you want to talk about. And if we've done our job, we leave the openings for people as well. So that's, but like, you know, you say it was a tough night. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes, Sometimes you just do a panel show and for whatever reason, 
the audience aren't into it as much as other nights or maybe it's not what they expected or maybe they have this idea what the TV show is and then your hour and a half version in the studio is entirely different. And sometimes it's just a bit weird. Tits and teeth though, you just pretend it's brilliant. You just yeah, pretend it's going yeah, great yeah. and then hope somebody <laughs> edits it properly, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it came out okay, but it was just at the time. I, I, I had the idea in my head of like I've spent years watching this show as well and I and I you just you oh, even though it's not live and it's going to be edited you can't think about that at the time i'm like Shit, that joke didn't work so that's going to look bad uh, on that's going to sound bad on radio but actually it, it wouldn't have made it on if it was bad obviously what is that like is that a trap can people fall into a trap on panel shows if they're new if they haven't done it before of trying too much is that like a, do you think less is more on something like that if you're a guest uh, it's a Depends on the panel show. Somebody once said to me about Mock the Week, he was saying to me, he used to get very head up about it. And he said, um, uh, and then I realized if I work really hard and have a great show, eight eight things I say will go in. And if I work a little less hard and, and don't really kill myself, five things will go in. So he, right. he, he decided, you know, it's not really worth it because <laughs> there's seven people around the table. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you just always need to give the editor's choice a lot of the time, you know? And if you're doing a show, be aware that if you say something in the first couple, like it's hard if you do a brand new show, right? You know, you're new to a show, you do something and it doesn't land and you feel that the audience isn't necessarily going for you. It's hard then 10 minutes after that to know that the first bit you said isn't going to go in. Uh, so just plow ahead. <laughs> like that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's quite a weird thing because we're stand-ups. I mean, we do gigs in rooms and the whole thing is about the interplay between us and them. Whereas when you do a panel show, you have to remember it's not about you and the audience in the room, really. It's about you and the audience at home. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's harder to do when you're brand new, I suppose, you know? You, you were part of the panel as well? I was, yeah, yeah. Colin Murphy is my, is my comedy wife. But you're right, right. He calls me his comedy wife, but I mean, in prison, we haven't decided the rules yet. <laughs> I'm not the one walking around holding, holding his uh, pocket out of his trousers. Um, so, I've, yeah, I've done a lot with him. Panel like, was great. Here's panel one for, like so you were ta- you were talking about doing a panel show for the first time. The first time I did the news quiz, so I did the news quiz for Radio Four, and I was sitting there, and this was the studio where Spike Milligan was in. You know, can, the, the, I, can I ask? Is, sorry, had you had you had a lot of experience before, or was this? Yes, yeah, this is maybe four or five years ago. So I'd done a load of panel shows, and but it's still the news quiz. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I did something. I was trying to figure out the audience, and I did something, and it was a huge laugh normally and whatever way i did it it didn't quite land and i kind of went oh okay okay and then something a couple of seconds later an improvised bit then really landed i was like okay cool this this is what this gig is and then afterwards uh i i found out that actually because of the acoustics if you listen back to it the first bit really landed because they mic the audience right but sometimes where you're sitting it you know so weird little things can, can put you off if, if you're not familiar with things, you know? Yeah. Like, we, we did a gig once in uh, for the Blame Game in an old cinema. And the cinema was basically soundproofed. So you could be absolutely ripping it and you'd yeah. be dying on your arse in your own head. And that, yeah. like, that really affects everybody, no matter who, who they say. Yeah, that's the same with, uh, I think, the first couple of times you do, like, a big room. And you don't realize that, actually, if you just let it sit for a second, the laugh will almost come back to you. You know, you yeah. don't hear it straight away. The first time I did Ulster Hall, um, I spoke a lot quicker. I, yeah. I wasn't really that comfortable on stage because I wasn't aware of just like sitting in it for a second and like 
letting the laugh come to me. So I was trying to fill this, fill the gaps. So yeah. yeah, you do have to consider like a load of, a load of different things. Um, let, let me ask you about how you got into stand up in the first place. In the first place, because when when I sort of was aware of you, I'm sure over ten years ago, you know, after, with the blame game, you were already well established in, in stand up. So, um, how, how did how did you get into it in the first place? Um, I I didn't really have any intention of doing it. Um, because I grew up no more than you did. Um, in a town where I mean, I know you're close to Belfast, but where uh, I mean. You're from Hollywood, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Right. So in Hollywood itself, is there is there an art center? No, no, no. So no. like that, I think that's the same from from most towns. You could be lucky if there is an art center there. I don't but even think I there's could... an art shop. <laughs> there's people look at BBC Four. That's as close as they got. Um, yeah, yeah. And so so I grew up and there was no theater or anything around. So I wasn't really aware of stand up as as a as a an art form shall we say um or as a form of entertainment and i went to university and one of the first gigs i ever saw was deirdre o'kane who was the host i think no it was the first act eddie bannon was the mc and dara o'brien was the closer and i was sitting on the floor of a student bar and i was just entranced by this i thought this was amazing and um see there wasn't that much stand-up on television that is a relatively recent thing you know in the last kind of 15 years but the stand-up show was on bbc one so tommy tiernan used to host it and then ardell hanlon used to host it so suddenly this confluence of events of people who sound a little bit like you irish people culties um on BBC and I go, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I just decided I'll do it once, but I'll just, it's bucket list stuff. Like so, along with, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. I'll, exactly I'll do a parachute thing, jump. Yeah. I'll do five minutes of stand up, and then you do it once and then you get, you get the bug, don't you? I always think that you're going to die horribly badly in your first five to 10 gigs. And yeah. all you can hope for is that you get two or three good ones before the death. And I always wonder how many, people got the f- bad ones the first two were bad and then they gave up and we'll never know the people we, we didn't get to hear you know i i got the the first the first gig i did i i think i just turned 18 but i looked five years younger so so that really worked for me in terms of audiences liking me you know yeah. I, I i just look like their kid or, or whatever uh the first gig i did the la- it was in black box in belfast and it was Myself, Jerry McBride, Paul Curry, Neil Dugan, and Dermot Core, and it's one of those weird ones to look back. That uh, apart from Dermot, who's, who's sort of moved away, living in Sweden now, um, everybody's still like doing stand up. Which, when you look back at old lineups, you go, "Well, he stopped doing it. He's not doing it. That she moved on to do something else." Uh, but I, I did really badly because I, I learned the script. I didn't know how to do stand-up. There was no Instagram, so you couldn't ask a comedian. Yeah. You got any, like a local guy, any tips? Or can I come see you do your set? So I learned the set, but I didn't learn it well enough. And I didn't think about the nerves. So I went up, I got my first sentence out, and then I just froze. And I couldn't think what the sentence after that was, or let me just do a different bit. I'd learned it in an order. And I, I just started talking about how badly this had gone. I was like, I'm never going to do this again. Yeah. And it, it was working because they felt so sorry for me. It looked like a, a, I was just a sad child. <laughs> and uh, and then the second gig I did, about six months later, I said, a bit, a bit like yourself, saying like a bucket list thing. I was like, I'm going to do it and, and that's it. And then I got the curiosity for it again. And my second gig was like a, was like a Def Jam gig. It was the one, still one of the best gigs I've ever done because I yeah. was this kid who had a bit of, who knew 
it had gone so badly before it couldn't go worse. And then I thought, this is me. I was like, I am now just a great comedian. Then every gig after the second, I died. <laughs> I died for about two years. I died for like two years. You just need that fuel of the great gig. So for the for the downtimes that you go, no, I I I figured out a way to do it. I just need to figure out how I did it again. Exactly. Yeah, a guy yeah. I knew who's a, was a barrister who was a, was a really good stand up. I said to him, "Why did you give up?" And he said, "Because the lows were lower than the highs were high." And I suppose that's always kind of stuck with me that you just need to get some of the fuel in the tank for it for it to be great. Otherwise, why would you do it when it when it goes really badly? Man? It's it, why? It, it, it's it's maybe like gambling in a way. Like almost like a gambling addiction where like you're like next time I'll get them next time. Yeah. And you just think it'll be all right. No matter how bad it's got. If you have a load of bad ones in a row, you're just, it's like being skint and you're like, no, I know like eventually my luck's going to change. And once you have a good one, the euphoria, I, I think the lows looking back on it and looking forward to the lows that will come <laughs> inevitably when gigs come back, it's, I don't mind it because it's like I've got another chance to do. I can just do this tomorrow night again. Of course, if people come and see you on tour, if they pay to see you, that's different. You feel like shit. Um, but if it's a club gig and you're trying new stuff and it doesn't go well, there's always like something learned. There's always something you can come away with. Yeah, and that's why I suppose it's it's good that it's if you're gigging regularly, it's like club football. You can address it again next match. Whereas if you're not gigging regularly enough, when you when you start, it's like international football. <laughs> and for three months, you go, oh God, I lost to the Faroe Islands. I died at that gig in the Empire or whatever. I really need to get back on stage and I can't remember how to play football again. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I, yeah it's, it's, and of course, what happens is you get a bit more successful as well is you can knock out some of the things that caused the gig to go badly in the first place. So it might not be entirely down to you. Sometimes it is down to you, obviously. Yeah, of course. Sometimes yeah. it might be that you were 20 and you didn't have the the uh, presence of mind or indeed bravery to go to the bar manager can you switch off the champions league while i'm on yeah <laughs> whereas, whereas now you might go ah i mean christ you know turn it down a bit it's only yeah. Atletico Madrid. where you know <laughs> yeah. and can we turn on the microphone and can we not have the raffle until i'm after i'm on and stuff like that so you kind of yeah, do the odds in your favor i suppose i did a gig for sean hegarty in lurgan and i've not been doing stand-up for too long um, I'm getting nothing. This is one of those situations you're talking about where it's a public bar. They don't know their stand-up on and they're trying to charge people. And they're yeah. like, were you here for the comedy? And the guys will say, no, do I have to pay? They say, no. <laughs> so nobody's listening. It's not like I'm doing badly. It's just nobody's paying attention. And then eventually a few guys turn around and sort of nudge their friends and then they're whispering. And I was like, okay, we're, we're cooking here. And I'm chatting away and they're not laughing, but they're really engaged. And then I realized, the barman had just put on match of the day on mute behind me <laughs> on a giant screen. So, so everybody, everybody was just watching, I don't know, Charlton play Bournemouth. And uh, in fact, that, that analogy has really annoyed me because Charlton and Bournemouth weren't in the premiership at the same time. But uh, they, were, they were watching some sort of highlights. And uh, I, mean, yeah, I know what you mean. You're just happy to be on stage and you don't realize the importance of the environment, I think, when you're new yeah. to it. I, I did a gig in... Talking about not realizing, like sometimes you're kind of braver when you start as well because you don't realize what can go wrong. I did yeah, a gig yeah. in Mountjoy Prison, and um, uh, like there were the, the guys weren't in for the most serious of crimes, but like you don't know that, you know. So, um, I was on with a friend of mine, Willie, and Willie had been. In I know Willie. Yeah. You know, know Willie, right? Yeah, Willie yeah. had been in Mountjoy, and Willie gets up and uh, 
he's heckled by his former cellmate, right? <laughs> and Willie, <laughs> like, it's immediate. Willie goes, uh, that, that's your problem, Willie says. That's your problem. You're always melting off. The guards, and he says, I'll never forget, the guards didn't even have to give you the biscuits. And you were like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it absolutely ripped the place, right? So I was watching this going, okay, this is how I need to do it. And then first act goes on and uh, 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 the first act goes on. And he says to a guy in the front row who's reading a newspaper while he's on, right? He goes, why are those chairs empty in front of you? And the guy looks up from the newspaper and goes, oh, they're for the riot. And puts his head back down again, right? And your man goes, why? It's amazing. And I'm going, okay. And I said to Willie, I suppose the only way to do this is to be a little bit aggressive. Is it if anything happens? He goes, yeah, and slag off. Slag off the prison guards and and uh, slag off anybody who slags you. So I get up, right? Now, I'd never do this now, thinking about it. But the same guy who heckles Willie heckles me, his former cellmate. And he, I'd seen how hard he went on him. And your man shouts something at me. And I said, uh, something stupid like, you've nearly as big a mouth as your sister, right? Which, I mean, it's not clever. Uh, it's pretty schoolyard. But Jesus Christ, it was effective. I couldn't, all I could hear was, <laughs> for the next five minutes. And your man did a little, like he'd been inside for uh, some reasonably serious involvement violence anyway. Like, and he gave me this little upper clap. He went, nah. as if to say, yes, indeed, my sister. Yes, that's a very flexible mandible. Um, and then the gig was brilliant after that. But, that's one of those situations where, if you kind of thought about it, I was driving home in the car afterwards. Going, <laughs> this part, did part of you think it went that well? And I mean, it's such a captive audience that you would maybe commit some sort of low-level, non-violent crime just to get in there, just to just, be doing, you know, a couple of spots a night. Pop in and back out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm always reminded of that amazing Kevin Bridges joke where he did, a, I think, a maximum security prison and you know you're not doing well. And it's Kevin Bridges' joke. Uh, I, I don't know what DVD it's on, um, but it's like, you know, you're not doing well when one of the lifers asked to be brought back to his cell, which I just think yeah, yeah. is so good. It's so good. But again, I, I remember seeing Kevin doing a 10,000 10, seat venue and watching him do what you're talking about there. Just watch the watch the, the laugh go around the room. You do have to do it in a different, different way. Did you play in the football game at Kilkenny uh, about four or five years ago? Where he played up front, um, I probably did. He had a, he had a bit like he had a bit. Well, I remember playing with you when you and I said to you, um, because I didn't know you that well. I said, "You any good?" And you were like, "Yeah," yeah. which I really liked. <laughs> <laughs> and then and you clarified afterward. You went, I went, I went, good, good, or like a comedian, good. And you went, oh well, I mean, comedian, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you were, I mean, and uh, you, you you saw the level of horrendous skill in terms of uh, football with comedians but I was on last night with Milton Jones in a Zoom gig and all I could think about was I played were you playing the he's the a hatchet man he he's got, and he's got a hatchet and the last goal was he chipped the keeper I mean he's a, he's a super footballer doesn't look like I mean that's one of the ones where you're like uh, you know Milton Jones he's like a, a wacky kind of plus he's a little bit older as well he, he if you judge him on looks you don't, it doesn't look like he, he has a bit Omar Jalili oh. as well. Omar Jalili is yeah. a very handy footballer. Didn't play with him. I remember that the first year I played twice at Katzlaff. First time was for the rest of the world. Then I got signed up 
uh, then I switch allegiances and play for the Republic. And, right. um, the, <laughs> no the, one's ever done that from Northern Ireland before. I know. I had to, I had to get a letter signed by, uh, by the IFA and, uh, and switch across. <laughs> Michael um, O'Neill was sitting on your doorstep when you got <laughs> home. <laughs> yeah, since day. Um, but what happened was, I remember hearing about the game when I was down there. I think Foil Arms and Hulk, like, are you playing in the game? Uh, and I, it was this, so it's on the Sunday, right? When like the Saturday night is the big night out of the festival. Everybody was drunk. And I remember looking around at people who would have been playing, seeing drinks in their hands <laughs> and thinking like, you fucking, we've got a game tomorrow. And I remember having a drink and just sipping it and then just getting home <laughs> early, early doors. And then I think I misjudged the tone of the game. Yeah, well, you get up the next day, and Andrew Maxwell is in a Mexican wrestling mask, and Ross Noble is wearing uh, <laughs> flip flops or sandals. I once nutmegged Ross Noble <laughs> in one of my early, early Kilkenny days. Nutmegged him and stopped and just went, "I've nutmegged Ross Noble like that." Yeah, like it. it's the it's funny because it's the thing that makes you think you were you've arrived when you do Kilkenny first. It's like you're part of the gang. I thought it was it, the same for you. It was so good just because like. Yeah, the household name kind of comedians and, you know, those, uh, what are they called? Like wildcat show? Like it's almost like a showcase thing. So there's yeah. no real pressure. If you have a nice seven-minute set, it's great. But you're, you're mainly going down to watch comedy. And I liked it. Um, I think the, the like, welcome and the friendliness from, from comedians was great at it too because it's a lot of the same faces. So you kind of worry, uh, you know, people are going to chat to you at shows. Um, and I'm very, it's like... It's going to be cliquey. Yeah, and I'm happy to like just sit by myself, but people are very were, were very friendly at it. And I remember taking that game so seriously that there was a point, I think this was the first year I played because I was playing for the rest of the world, and the ball was going to go out of play. And I think, I remember just running past one of Foil Arms and Hog, heading the ball back into play, and in slow motion, seeing, I think it was Sean's face, go like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what, what, <laughs> what, what, is, what is your problem? Um, I was yeah, took it far too seriously, but yeah, I mean yeah, but see, see, I would disagree with that. I think I think the people in that game sometimes who are rubbish yeah. don't take it seriously because they're rubbish. Yeah. Whereas sometimes we used to get close games, and there was a few handy people on each side, and then it was a bit, it was a bit tasty, and also it was a bit. It's odd because it's the biggest game you're ever going to play. Like there could be two or three thousand people playing Thousands. watching yeah. this. So I mean, yeah. Sometimes you get the get the right mix. Usually, depending on the rest of the world makeup, depending on who's um who's been invited for the rest of the world, because sometimes they can be a ringer. Yeah, they, they can maybe they don't have a, a huge amount of selection. You know, depending on just the rota of comedians on that year. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kenny's great. Hopefully, get back. Um, Although I have to say, uh, <laughs> three or four years ago, they realised. I mean, there was a cohort of comedians. I'm not saying that they were necessarily getting old, but three or four years ago, there was a, you now have to sign a waiver, so you have to spend with all insurance claims. And that was the moment I thought, yeah, there's there's a changing of the guard here from yeah. some of those older guys to the rest of us. You're like, maybe we do golf now. Maybe it's table tennis. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, Belfast and, and Northern Ireland type audiences, um, you, you know, since you've done the blame game, like you seem to... It's almost like you're a local comedian here too, if that makes sense. And do you feel that like uh, warmth, if you like, from from local crowds here? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I, I um I feel like one of the things that I like is that I do 
towns that would be considered both sides of a traditional divide. And yeah. that would suggest to me that you're doing it right. And yeah, that yeah. anything that you say is either backed up by fact or is backed up by some sort of character where they know, well, he's going to say that because he's going to say that. Or hold on, he took a different position last time. Oh, he's taking positions just for the laugh, is he? You know, so like I would sometimes, I would be all United Ireland, United Ireland, United Ireland on the blame game. And then, you know, so, so like I'd say when the blame game starts in two weeks, I'd be like, can I join because you have the vaccine? Do you know what I mean? And yeah, people just yeah. know uh, it's, it's a laugh. Of what course. I think, what I think, um, I think what the audiences respond to, apart from just doing the gigs, is it's not that it's not that common that people from outside of the north know about the north, yeah, and know who Jim Allister is, and know who not just Arlene but below Arlene, and not just Michelle but below Michelle, and do you know what I mean? And uh, so there is there is that you get this, you get. Uh, the double whammy of not being from there, so going, aren't you all weird? Yeah, yeah. But uh, also, the and this is exactly how you are weird because yeah, you've yeah. hopefully done the research so by osmosis. So um, I've always, I've always liked gigging there, I have to say, even, even when it wasn't necessarily on TV. I always thought that Belfast had a, like, you know the way comics have a dark sense of humor? Generally. Yeah. I always thought Belfast had a slightly dark sense of humor than Dublin. And I think that's why comics like it. And do, what were your first experiences of of coming down here? You know, when when you were maybe starting stand up, or were you, when you were pretty new to it. What sort of state was the comedy scene in here, and what sort of gigs would you have been playing? Um, it was pretty much the Empire. Uh, it was the Empire, and it was doing. There was a club in the Delacroix and Derry, which right. I I just did once as part of the BBC Comedy Awards. Um, but it was pretty pretty much the, the Empire and the odd little weird gig around. Um, I remember doing a gig in a in a pub that had won the right to have the gig in Armagh, like in the middle of nowhere in Armagh, and um, there was nowhere to, like it was attached, there was nowhere to, to, to do the gig, sorry, there was nowhere to kind of, like a green room, there was nowhere to hang out, and your man said, hang out in the kitchen, and I walked into the kitchen, and um, there was a coffin, and a body in the coffin, and he'd, he'd a cup of tea and biscuits, and I ate the biscuits and tried not to look into the coffin, and then... Oh. And then without the gig, um, so there, there was no real. There was bits and pieces in Queens, maybe. So, but there was no real, yeah, yeah. no real comedy scene, you know. And the stuff that you, the likes of you and Colin are doing now, obviously the podcasts and the stuff of generating your own followings. I mean, that that wasn't really a possibility. But the Empire was was the place, and uh, it, it, that was one of those do it and and see how it goes and a, a baptism of fire, I suppose. But it was it's good. You just had to kind of hold your own there, you know. Yeah, I mean, they were the best nights when, I mean, it, it can, at its best, it is a bear pit. But if you get that right, then it's so good. I think the first time I did it, Jason Byrne headlined. And the when Jackie went on at the start, he's like, listen, if there's a fire, good luck to you, basically. Because like, the place was <laughs> jammed, way over capacity. Um, but it was the best way to do it. It was the best way to do it's, it because... It's easier... That's you, is it? That's not me. Oh, yeah, that's me. Apologies. Excellent. You look uh, more unprofessional than I do. Um, <laughs> the, the, I always think that um, it is easier to control momentum, like so that a packed empire would have, than to generate momentum from nothing. So if you did a gig and there was 12 people at that and they're all massively spaced out, you can have to create something from nothing. Whereas in the Empire, on a ram night like that, you just have to harness it. You know? Yeah, because you're, you're just dealing with 
almost like one. It's just a mass of people. Whereas if you have like people spread out, all that kind of thing, you're working so many individuals. Whereas if people are that they're the best gigs, aren't they? When people are just Jackie. One of my early days in doing the Empire, Jackie Hamilton uh, rang me, who runs the Empire, uh, um, and he said, I want you to do a compare on Valentine's Night. And I was chuffed, not thinking that I was the only moron stupid <laughs> enough to say yes to a gig on Valentine's Night. And it was a desperate and dateless ball. And uh, so all these people, turned, oh my God, it was like, the, have you ever seen The Walking Dead? All yes. these people turned up, mother of God. And I think they thought that they were all going to be paired off, but they weren't all paired off. It was people pulled out of a hat. Well, until you've had to wrangle maybe 100 or 200 disappointed divorcees in their in their 50s who were promised a date. I mean, <laughs> Christ, Christ, that was a baptism of fire. And then uh, three couples were sent across the way to a hotel to learn as much about each other as possible. And then they came back and they had to um, do a Mr. and Mrs. quiz. And whoever knew a load about each other uh, would win this holiday. Uh, now, I'm not like nobody in Belfast at that point would talk to each other. It was too, they were really cagey at this point, right? So these three couples came back and they didn't know each other's names. They didn't know where they'd gone to school. They didn't know what food they liked. It was an absolute disaster. And I was trying to uh, maintain some sort of uh, decorum throughout this whole thing. So I, had to, I remember doing that gig in the Empire, but most other gigs were, you- were just kind of, were you, were you on stage be like take me to Armagh with a coffin please and they bring me a coffin <laughs> yeah. Yeah. lay me down can, Just... can we are we allowed to talk about the, the big show that you're doing yeah absolutely yeah. so yeah. Um, th- th- there was a I mean the SSA arena the Odyssey is kind of we call it locally um, it is such a like prestigious venue because it's the first arena here like it was mm. the first time where we had pop stars coming over that had never really played here before uh my dad got me two tickets to see justin timberlake and i think he was looking to go himself which is very weird but he said uh, he's like listen phone a girl you can bring her to see justin timberlake and i had to phone a girl on the landline and ask her to a girl called ashley and ask her to go to the gig and that's my first memory of the odyssey but it, it's such a cool place because it was like Belfast. It felt like Belfast had become a cool city uh, when that happened. You're you're playing the SSE um, when? I actually think. February 2022. So a, next nice year. Time. It's a nice. That's a nice time. It feels very odd to to do it. I was I was in it for a, a Belfast Giants gig and I thought it looked amazing. And then obviously I saw some, some people doing it and I thought I, I thought it's going to be fun to do. And I thought that. It's weird because obviously this is lockdown time now and you're trying to figure out what to aim for really, you know, and uh, when we'll be back doing gigs and when we'll be back kind of building up to doing a big gig like that. So it just seemed like time and something to excite me in a sel- in a selfish way, I suppose, really. Um, and I'd heard good reports about it. So, yeah, I mean, I just announced it recently, and already I'm like, okay, pressure's on now. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I think that's going to be a gig that's not like 
Like I always leave a little bit of space to mess around. You don't know. I've never done the room before. I don't know if I can mess around in quite the same way. So, you know, I'm going to have to have an extra few bits of piece of material in my pocket. So already, hopefully it's kind of serving as a, as a bit of a kick up the arse, you know, it's been such a weird year though. It's just so good having something in the diary to work towards. And I think it's the only thing that's kept me semi sharp in this time and, and writing material. And so when you're like doing it, it as well, aren't you? I'm doing it in November this year. So you can tell me how to do it then. I'll be I'll be the guinea pig. I'll let you know how it goes. Um, and if you want to come to it, whatever. Um, Absolutely. But it, it, I'm just I'm really looking forward to it because it's going to be the first. So I, I my tour last year basically got put back to like three times. So now I'm doing the waterfront, which should have been last year, like a month before. So it's like two big shows in two months which separate ours, which would have terrified me before, but I have the time to work on it, you know? That was my question, yeah. Yeah, again, I've had shows rescheduled, same as you, so um, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out whether I should do a brand new show for from here on in, because, like, the audience... I don't think the audience, as long as they know what they're getting, and as long as you don't repeat something where they think of something brand new, I think if you did something brand new in November or October for the Ulster Hall, I don't think, you know, they would mind that you didn't do the show they booked for two years ago. Yeah, um, of course, yeah. yeah. You know, as long as you're telling everybody everything. I must, I remember did a, I did a show um, about Blackboard Jungle, which is a, a school's quiz I was on, and I, uh, cut, I, I actually got the two teams... That, that I was on the show with uh, my team and another school's team and the host, I got all of us back together (laughs) 10 or 15, uh, I mean, 20 years after, whatever it was, was it? Uh, And green screened it. uh, And that was the finale of the show. And I remember doing loads of press to tell the people about it. And I did it in Vega Street and I played the theme music and I'd say 5% of people knew that that's what the show was about. I always think that um, Uh... people come, I think uh, audiences uh, for comics, it's who, and for plays, it's what. Exactly. So I yeah. think yeah. I think people go and see Shane Todd. They don't go and see Shane Todd. Shane Todd is a new show talking about um, podcast recording. No one, a lot of time, that doesn't go into their heads. Whereas they, in particularly around rural parts of of the island of Ireland, they will go to um, Oscar Wilde because it's the importance of being earnest. They will go to the what. Whereas I think for comics, they go for the who. So a lot of the time, it doesn't matter as long as you know. Yeah, and I think I think uh, like if you go to Edinburgh Fringe Festival where it's like more arty, um, it's more about the show. You know, a lot of a lot there is a lot of themes. There is a lot of yes. See, here's my show on this, and then there's a twist, and then there's that. I think with like the beauty of tour shows and the comedy, I actually like seeing it's just funny for the sake of funny. And I don't need this bit the length of that. I don't need no. the last bit to call yeah. back then. I just want to see funny stuff. So, um, so I think February is a great time to do it because I think shows will there will have been enough shows before it to have it figured out. If like if they're if they're going to bring it like the shows I did in Limelight in September, they did the table service thing, which was brilliant. So, if that becomes like a bit of a thing for a while, they'll have all that ironed out. I think February is a great time to do a show. And uh, fingers crossed. And it's exciting. I mean, it's a it's a it's an arena. So yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry for reminding. You're, of, you're officially an arena co- comic. Yeah, yeah. Like you, it might just be the one arena. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> on one time only, but uh, <laughs> on one time only and half full. <laughs> but how, like, how, much, 
Like say say I do the SSE once and then I just never get to do it again. Say I'm in a taxi in like 20 years time passing it and I'm coming home from a night out drunk and I say to the driver, I did a show there. How, how much does that sound like bullshit where he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. Tell, them, tell them my kids when they're, when they're older. I'm like, you know, when we're in seeing uh, Rihanna, you know, I'm like, I actually get a night here myself. So they're like, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. Yeah, take your tablets, dad. Yeah, listen, there's, there's, going to be, there's going to be enough weird gigs along the road. So when you get a chance to Do have it, a yeah. something that's deadly, that's something that is cool, you know, yeah. and it's a grandkid story, you got to take it. Yeah. Like if, you know, you've, you've, you've put the hard yards in, so why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, look, um, I, I'd love to come down to that. I think it'll be a great night. Love to see you in that, in that venue. I'll go and see you, you come and see me. All right, I like that. Um, I'll do the guinea pig show and uh, and then I can relax and watch and watch your show. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll link we'll link to the show in the description if anybody wants to check it out, uh, which I encourage you to do so. And um, I really appreciate you need taking the time to, to chat. Pleasure to, to have it's you been on. been a pleasure. Thank Thanks you very a much. million. I'll talk to you soon.